Hey, welcome to this special episode of Dose of Leadership, where it's actually a Next Level Method podcast episode. That's my other project that I have with my other podcast that I have with business owner Matt Lilly of Next Level Method. We launched this uh, last August, and it's an up-and-coming podcast, but I'm playing it here because I want you to get exposure. we got a bigger audience here in Dose of Leadership, and I'm trying to grow the audience of Next Level Method, so I'm dual playing it here. And today's guest is Terry Cole. She's the author of Boundary Boss, a psychotherapist and host of The Terry Cole Show. Before earning her master's degree in clinical psychotherapy, however, she was an agent, a talent agent for actors and supermodels. She was your typical type A overachiever, no balance, no internal peace. Her ambition, her fearless attitude, fanned the must-get-to-the-top flames as she zipped across the country from L.A. to New York City, fueled by caffeine, nicotine, adrenaline. And what became evident, however, is all, all those things, money, power, sexy job that she thought would make her happy, they just didn't. She couldn't ignore her, that inner voice anymore in her heart that was saying, isn't there something more meaningful and significant you could do than making supermodels richer? Happily, there was. Terry met her husband, Vic, around the same time she started her own therapy practice, and she's been on this mission teaching us how to attract and sustain healthy, vibrant, real love into our lives and how to establish and maintain effective boundaries. Never had a conversation about boundaries, and that's why I wanted to sh- play it here on Dose of Leadership. It's a great conversation where Matt and I explore with Terry our physical, emotional, and mental boundaries. And once we know what our boundaries are, it unlocks freedom and empowerment. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's such a fun and powerful episode, and Terry was such a great guest. So let's get on with it. Terry Cole, here on Dose of Leadership, also an X Level Method podcast. Go check it out at nextlevelmethod.com. Thanks for being a fan. Well, Terry Cole, so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Michael and Matt. I'm really pumped to be here. Yeah, you know, what's fun about this conversation, well, I've never had a conversation about boundaries. I haven't either. And so I'm really looking forward to this. I guess the most frustrating thing is that we only have <laughs> a limited amount of time to talk because we could probably talk all day about this. But, you know, we never were taught the skills to, to effectively, number one, how to recognize when we're crossing boundaries or someone has crossed our own boundaries so I'm excited to talk about this. So I yeah, guess I am too. Yeah. Can we define what boundaries are though? I mean, I, I guess I, I know what the term means in general, but it's kind of like saying, I know what leadership means, but when I try to define it, it gets a little <laughs> messy. Same with boundaries, right? What are they? Well, the way that I define them, or you can think about them as your own personal rules of engagement. It's how others can and cannot interact with you. And you must have the ability to express those things, right? Because it's one thing to know it. And it's another thing to say it. I break down boundaries into you knowing your preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers, and having the ability to communicate them. And I guess let me take it a step further. Okay, let me ask the so what question. I think I know the answer to this, but why is that so important? Why, why is it so important that we understand the importance of boundaries and healthy communicate, or at least expressing boundaries correctly. Why is that so important? Because really, Michael, when you think about it. Oh, it's Richard, by the way. Sorry. Oh, Richard, Richard oh, I'm yep. sorry. No, it's a worries. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you're really you personally, both of you, all of you, your boundaries are what make you uniquely you. So that's your preferences, desires, limits, and deal breakers. They're really the things that make you, you, and many of us have been taught that um, if we're the cool gal, if we're easy breezy, no fuss, you know, mm-hmm. no fuss, no muss or whatever, that these things have become badges of honor, that there's something good about that. But what I find is that if we don't, if we say yes, when we want to say no, under the guise of being nice and being easy, yeah. we're really giving the people in our lives. And a lot of times it's the people we love the most corrupted intelligence about who we are. Oh man, I'm so mm. guilty of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think about all the times where I've said yes when I wanted to say no, or I've hidden my feelings and what comes out is when I, and I do that often enough, it becomes compartmentalized and it, the pressure keeps building. And then it comes out in yep. weird and ugly ways like passive aggressive behavior, or right. sometimes even explosions, right? Or I get depressed or I mm-hmm. withdraw or all those things, which just leads to dysfunctional communication, dysfunctional relationships, right? Yeah. And it, absolutely. Yeah. And even, even as we're talking about this, I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting here going, okay, what are my boundaries? I mean, like in my head, I'm processing this going, 
okay, I have no idea what my own boundaries are or, I mean, what the, and I think you do actually uh, on your website, you have a downloadable thing, I think, to help us identify that. Is that accurate? I do. I actually have a quiz and uh -huh. it's just boundaryquiz.com is okay. where people can get it. It's free. Uh -huh. And I've come up with archetypes oh. so that you can see, because boundaries come in three, three different um, sort of flavors. They can be porous which are too malleable, they're too loose. Mm -hmm. They can be rigid, which are too solid, too huge, too amplified for the situation, or they can be healthy. Yet within all of that, there are nuances, right? Because mm -hmm. there's other things for both of you that make up your boundary um, skill set or your, your desired boundaries. You might be an introvert, you might be an extrovert. All of those things um, impact your boundary preferences, but I'd say the biggest indicator is what I call your downloaded boundary blueprint. Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, we, we all have in our unconscious mind, you know, how the world is sort of, it's like the schema mm -hmm. right, of the world and how we're supposed to relate to boundaries and relationships with finances, with friends at work and in leadership as well. So it's answering questions and understanding like what you learned in your family of origin, the home that you grew right. up in, whether it was a family, a home, a foster home, it doesn't matter because it's the adults in your life and the culture of that group that really have a profound impact because some families are closed systems where not a lot of people could come in and out or they demanded full loyalty, like group think, we all have to agree on everything. You're not allowed to have a differing opinion. Some people have open families. So there were a lot of things that got us to where we are, like how we relate to boundaries right now. And unpacking that stuff is actually, it's interesting, but it's important to know about yourself. You talk? Go ahead. Well, I just, so I'm, I'm always fascinated. We have so, so many incredible guests like yourself on the show, and I'm always fascinated on what, what passion or what in their lives kind of something I would assume in your life helped you focus, made, made this your life's work, right? I mean, there was, there was, so either, there was either a catalytic event or an aha moment, or maybe just something, a progression over time. But what, I guess, what for you was, uh, drove you to really want to make this your life's work? Well, part of it is that I was a boundary disaster <laughs> for a long time and had a lot of pain and suffering. I didn't identify it as such. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't know, I, you know, I start off the book talking about the fact that I was a bridesmaid yeah, eight times, eight times. Mm -hmm. in my 20s and probably should have said no to about four of those ugly dress experiences. <laughs> right. But I didn't, I couldn't, as you know, Richard, you had just said before, like uh, you're guilty of saying yes when you want to say no. Mm -hmm. Imagine someone asks you to be in their wedding. It's of supposed course. to be this massive honor. Right. And I just, I was like, who am I? to say, I can't afford it because I couldn't. I was right, like right. 20 and living in New York City and had no money, <laughs> Right, but I couldn't. And so the resentment that be it becomes a cumulative experience when you have disordered boundaries yeah. of getting real resentful. I love in, in your book, Boundary Boss, where you talk about, in, right after you talk about the bridesmaid, you gave the example how you grew up, you know, and you kind of described a lot of our I know people that I know and some elements of my family were like that, you know, where dad didn't talk much, you know, he was the breadwinner, the mom was, you know, taking care of everything, you know, and then dad comes home that everything, let's don't upset dad, you know, he wants to watch sports, let's make sure we change it. Okay, you know, and so it just starts becoming ingrained in you that you don't want to disappoint, right? And so that's mm -hmm. that environment you came out of, which is probably like millions of, of, of childhoods that, that people have grown up with, not necessarily abusive or anything like that, but it was just lacking in communication and lacking of, you know, talking about your boundaries and mm -hmm. talking about, you know, speaking to your experience, right? I mean, I love how you detailed that in the book. I mean, it really, once you kind of confronted that head on, it started to put a lot of stuff into place, right? Oh, yeah. It, it, it made me understand that I learned at an early age that I should prioritize the way my father felt, mm -hmm. not prioritize. And the example I give in the book that that's actually funny that you brought that up is, you know, my sisters and I could be watching the last like yeah. three minutes of the movie Grease. And, and if my father out. came down and said, Hey, sports fans, hey, that sports was the fans. cue yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that we knew golf was coming on. It didn't matter what 
where we were, what we were watching, not one of us would ever have thought to say, can you wait three minutes? It's the end of the movie. Never. We couldn't wait to run out of that room and be like, okay, bye. Mm -hmm. And so what do you learn from that? Which is you certainly don't learn to prioritize the way you feel. And then you have family systems. Mine was one where there are certain forbidden emotions. Like my family was kind of a waspy family where anger was just out. Nobody could express anger, yeah. which of course doesn't mean we weren't angry. Right. <laughs> it just means it was goes underground. Right. And then I learned to transform feelings of anger into sadness mm. because it won't just, we don't have the power to stop feeling because we're not God, like we're just human beings mm -hmm. and it has to come out. Yeah. So then, as you were saying before, Richard, you made a good point of like, it, it'll then come out sideways, kind of mm -hmm. like in passive aggressive remarks, because you're frustrated. Mm -hmm. And that mm, you become this powder keg, it doesn't go away. And so all of that complicates the crap out of being able to know your boundaries, and then communicate them. Because really, we were taught, certainly, I know, women in particular, most of us were raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependents. Like that's a fact. Yeah. Do we have to do that work? Is it, is it critical that I do that kind of in-depth analysis of my childhood to, to define my boundaries? Or can I at this point from day one, not even really fully understanding it, go, okay, this is not acceptable. This is not, this is a non-negotiable for me. Or do you have to do the work to really kind of go back and see where it came from? I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to that, but it no, just it's seems... a great question though. It, it's a valuable question because we're talking about efficiency and you know what, if there's no reason to go back, yeah. even as a therapist, I've always been sort of of the mind. I'm not interested in like what happened in third grade, unless what happened in third grade is blocking you from creating the life or the career or the relationship right. that you want now, then I'm very interested. Right. right. So I think that we can start in the here and now people who are listening if you're wondering, if you're like, I don't know, where, what are my boundaries and where do I need boundaries? We can start by doing a resentment inventory. Oh, I like that. So you look at, yeah, cause that's going to, that's going to point you to the real meat of it. Right. Yeah. How do you do yeah. that? How do you do yeah, a resentment yeah, inventory? How do we do that? Well, you get honest with yourself and make a list and say right now, who am I harboring? frustration, anger, resentment against in my life. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be able to allow yourself to have those feelings because it makes you a human being. You're right. not a bad person if you feel that way, but you've got to be specific. It doesn't help in our relationships. If, if I say to my husband, you need to be more sensitive. <laughs> He's like, excuse me, what, <laughs> what does that actually mean? Right. We need to know within ourselves, what would it mean? Why am I saying that? Why do I feel that way? Oh, here's an incident. This is what happened. And I felt he was insensitive. Let me be specific about that within myself. This, this becomes your GPS mm -hmm. of what relationships might need better boundaries, because we have to have a place to start. Like sure. you said, what do we got to go back to all of our childhood? Not necessarily, but if something happened in childhood that you need to understand the way that I walk people through it in the book is we do a lot of inventories. We do a lot of childhood looking back not to linger forever, but to say, Oh, I am this way for a reason. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not def You know, there's nothing wrong with the way that I am. I learned this and it's hopeful because it means I can un learn it because a lot of this is modeled behavior, right? Right. right? What did we see right. in childhood? And that really impacts what we think we're supposed to be now. So I'm really challenging and inviting and guiding the readers to decide how they want to live. How do you want to interact? And is it important to you to be known? Because without effective boundaries, you will only be so known in your life. Do you want people to intimately know you? And of course, it doesn't have to be all people, but you, there's no way you can be a successful leader if you have massively disordered boundaries. It's not possible. Yeah, impossible for sure. And so what would be, uh, uh, just 
um, I am truly a student of life, and right now I'm a student of yours. So uh, a lot of times we just do interventions right here on the show with Richard and I. It's <laughs> right. like, okay, well, when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> but but uh, before we go there, um, so what's some examples of just when we talk about boundaries, just so we can help more define that. What are some examples of good boundaries, and what are some examples of, and I know it's probably different based on personalities, but there's probably some overarching like things that are just like, yeah, that's not good. Well, um, so what are, you know, from my perspective, what are good boundaries? And then what are some areas where we maybe a lot of, when you're dealing with uh, clients that you see all the time, like almost everybody screws up on this boundary. I mean, when is there some, when I would piggyback on that too, is yeah. like, how do I know when I, when I've crossed one, I guess, like, how yes. do, how do yes. I know? Yes. Right. Yeah. That's kind of, yeah, I think. All right. So let's do it in two parts. Okay. Let's talk about the categories of boundaries. Okay. So we have emotional boundaries, mm -hmm. mental boundaries, physical boundaries, which are also include sexual boundaries and material boundaries. So I'll give you violations in each one of those. Ooh, this is awesome. Right. Yeah. So it'll be really clear because people can extrapolate from that point. So Mental boundaries means you know what you think, you know what your opinions are, you're able to have a conversation with someone who has a differing opinion mm -hmm. without losing it, without being <laughs> so like that. mad that they don't think like you do, um, without getting super hyper upset about the whole thing. Um, a, a mental boundary violation is someone telling you that you're, what your opinion is stupid, mm. that, that you don't know what you're talking about that they know more than you do mm. about whatever it is. Um, moving into emotional boundaries, it's when you know what is your side of the street emotionally, mm -hmm. meaning I don't feel responsible for your feelings, Richard, or your mm. feelings, Matt. I know that I'm not. And even if someone is trying to guilt the crap out of me, when I have healthy emotional boundaries, I know I'm not picking up that guilt because it is not mine. I have language to say, hey, I'm actually not taking that on because you made that choice of your own free will. And if you regret it now, I can have compassion for that, but it's not mine. Mm -hmm. So that's having healthy emotional boundaries. A, an emotional boundary violation is someone saying, well, that's stupid that you, you feel that way. You, sh you shouldn't feel that way. And, and, I, I don't understand why you feel that way. And And... And this is, yeah, this is exactly where I wanted to go with that. But what do you do? What do I do? What do I do in that moment where they do cross that boundary? Like if I, if I have that boundary and they say I'm stupid or project, yeah. I, I usually use the phrase like they're projecting their own stuff, trying to project it onto this screen. And it's like, <laughs> wait a second, I'm not playing that movie. Um, so, so what do I do if someone's crossed that boundary? Or do you want to go well, through the rest of these first? I, I don't want well, to. Well, I can quickly just okay, give you yeah, something please, to say. Because yeah. like, the, the book, there's a whole entire chapter. Uh -huh. They're just scripts right. <laughs> for every scenario known to mankind. <laughs> so if someone says, um, that's stupid, you, you shouldn't feel that way. Right. You can be clear and say, hey, hey, for clarity, I'm sharing with you how I feel, not asking for your opinion Ooh. on my feelings. That's good. <laughs> not asking. That's real good. I love that. <laughs> okay. So, and so there's a certain amount, it sounds like, of directness with setting boundaries then. Yes, but in the beginning, um, a lot of times we need time. So in the beginning, you'll, you'll realize after the fact. Right. And you're like, why didn't I say something? And I have all kinds of scripts where, I mean, listen, I could go back to the summer of 78 if we needed to with a boundary. <laughs> like, you've never really missed that boat. Like, trust me. <laughs> you can always go back. Oh, hey, I was thinking about two Wednesdays ago in the meeting. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to put it on your radar that oh, and you gotcha. say the thing. So, so there's a way of doing it neutrally. We've got to get it out of our mind mm -hmm. that setting boundaries and having these authentic conversations is super confrontational in right. some way, yeah. or it's like bad yeah. in some way. It's being honest and actually it's super generous. Yeah. I love it. It's very you know, giving. It's very value added. As opposed to, because the other just kind of feeds this kind of mendacity and this mediocrity that just, we seem to be bathing in all the time. Indeed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let me finish the other yep. categories. Yep. So material boundaries, that's how you relate to your stuff. That's like, maybe you want to keep your car very clean. Mm. Maybe someone else keeps their car like a junkyard. And if that person gets in your car and wants to leave their fast food wrappers all over the place, that would be a material violation to you. Mm -hmm. You would not want them to leave their crap in your car if you are a neat person. 
Um, it has to do with how much space you need. Maybe in your home, there are certain areas where other people can't go. Mm. Um, maybe you keep your bedroom sacred if you have children and they don't go in there. Um, maybe you ask people to take their shoes off when they come into your home, especially mm -hmm. if you live in a dirty city like New York, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps. Uh, although I love New York, but just saying. Yes. So th that is material boundaries that also encompasses whether you lend money mm. or not, whether you lend your stuff or not. Do you like to share food on a plate or not? Those are sort of your, and they're very unique to you. None of those things are wrong. If you don't like to share food, I don't want to go out to dinner with you, but I understand that that is your right to, I was going to, to ask, eat your own food. I was going to ask, do I, get, do I have any friends after I go through my boundary <laughs> list? But I guess that's part two here. Yes. And with lending money, right? So my, my two cents on lending money literally is don't do it. That's right. It. Yep. And, and if, if someone asks you, you can say, hey, I actually have a no lending policy. It's not personal to you. Mm -hmm. It's just the way that I protect my relationships. Right. Yep. So I, I hope you, you, you know, I can brainstorm with you other ways if that would be helpful. Right. Like we don't have to do it just because someone asks us to do it. If it goes against our own integrity and if you know it's going to be bad for the relationship and I promise you it is mm -hmm. yeah. unless you're a bank, like right. don't lend money. Right. And the last one is physical and sexual boundaries. So physical boundaries, really, it's your, your biggest boundary is your body. Yeah. So we've all had the experience of a close talker <laughs> where someone is just a little too close yeah. for your comfort. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we will naturally step backwards right. one step. We're creating space. And maybe Bob from accounting is not that intuitive and will step forward to yeah, close Bob. the gap. And at that moment, you might need to say, oh, hey, Bob. Can you step back? You're a little too close for my comfort. Like Bob doesn't like it. I don't care. Yeah. Move back, Bob. <laughs> step off. Get over. You're too, you're in my, my private zone, you know? Right. And then with sexual boundaries, it's anything. A sexual boundary violation is anything that makes you uncomfortable. It's, it's even a lewd comment. Right. It's mm. someone commenting about your body, about what you're wearing. And a lot of times... People are clueless. It's not always this nefarious terror, like I've got a plan to take you down right. or like I'm really trying to be inappropriate. But I, my per myself, let it pass because it is inappropriate. So if someone says, oh, looking good in that skirt, Terry, let's just say Bob from accounting again, Damn, I would Bob. say, and let's say, I thought we fired that like guy. Bob. Didn't we fire that guy yeah, from accounting? Uh, I thought we jerk. did. I swore we gave I've him notice. HR so many times. Right, exactly. He just became an HR nightmare. Keep showing but up I, anywhere. Damn, Bob. Yeah, I think we stopped paying could, him. <laughs> you could say something to him though, right? Because here's the thing. I actually like Bob. I'm not going to assume the absolute worst that now he's a predator. Right. It right. could be from another era. Again, it doesn't mean I'll let it pass, but I would be honest and say, hey, Bob, I know you mean this as a compliment, but I'd like to make a simple request that you stop commenting on my clothes and my body because it makes me uncomfortable and I really like working with you. And I wouldn't want this to get in the way of that. God, I wish I had your... <laughs> tape recorder of your voice in my head all the time. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, yeah as she was talking, I was like, wow, you, can you be my enforcer? Yeah, just, walk right. Around, <laughs> just walk around. It's like, Terry, this is what I want you to say to that person. I know. <laughs> right? It's like, Terry, they're crossing a boundary. Will you take care of them for me? <laughs> yeah, but, right, it, but you, you see, it's possible, right? Yeah, just it is. Even with what right. I just well, said. And, it, and like, it's simplistic. It's, it, the, yes. the beauty is in, this, is in the direct simplicity of it, if it makes sense. It, hard to do because of... I'm I'm a people pleaser, or mm -hmm. I don't want to cause waves, or all those things, right? I mean, but, it's a, and I and I think part of the reason is because we don't have them defined for ourselves. I mean, I I agree. Again, when when you first start talking, I was like, oh, gosh, what are? I mean, even as you list the categories, I'm like, okay, what is my boundary around that, or what is? You know, I'm I'm starting to think through that, thinking, okay, I don't even know if I don't know what my boundary is. Guess what? I can't communicate to other people what my boundary is. So how it's not their fault that they're crossing it because I don't even I'm because it's probably more. Uh, as you said before, it's more not even flexible. It's just it's not even defined. So I'm judging in the moment whether they're crossing the boundary. And a lot of that's coming from the subconscious. It's not even a conscious boundary. Right. I'm like, if Bob steps too close and I don't know that I like close talkers, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm trying to negotiate. Do I stand here and let Bob talk close to me or do I back up nope. or what's right? I mean, if I don't have it defined, <laughs> then I don't I, I, I I'm fighting with myself for the definition in the moment. Yes. 
it creates the internal conflict. Yeah. But let, let's go back around now, now that we're aware, mm -hmm. now that I've, I've spent decades researching mm -hmm. this and writing a beautiful step-by-step -step process book that people yes. can follow if they really want to learn this, as long as you can read or listen, because I also did an audiobook. Sweet. you, you can do this and you can do it your way. Even if you're an introvert, yeah. even if you're a people pleaser, even if you suffer from codependency. And I talk about all those things. Yeah in the book because mm -hmm. of course they impact but back to what richard had asked before mm -hmm. about piggybacking how do we know when a boundary has been crossed mm -hmm. i think that that is a really important part of this conversation mm -hmm. so can we talk about that yeah sure absolutely yeah go, go for it okay <laughs> so even though because a lot of times my therapy clients would be like saying exactly what you were saying matt like i don't really know like right. I, is is it good is it bad am i doing it and I was like, but you do know, because your body has so much wisdom. Mm, yeah. And that when Bob from accounting is stepping is standing too close to you, you have a visceral mm. biological response, mm -hmm. which is a constriction somewhere could be your chest, your throat, your head, some there has been some alarm system that has gone off. So we've learned to ignore the alarm system right. to mm. like, disconnect it sort of because we are so so many people in my courses and clients over the years their highest desire is to avoid conflict mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i can't tell you how many emails i get from people saying i want to draw boundaries i want to be a boundary boss but how can i do it with no conflict at all <laughs> oh i'm not that magical i have no idea <laughs> i mean if you change right when we change these ingrained habituated boundary dances. Oh, our dance partner is going to notice if it's a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. It isn't like they're not going to notice that you suddenly, you know, let's say the 35-year-old who's been dropping their laundry off at the mom's house, right, on Sundays. And if the mom suddenly is like, oh, hey, don't drop it anymore. They're going to be like, why? I thought this meant you loved me. I thought this <laughs> right. was your way. Right. And so there will have to be conversations and you will have to be willing to reestablish new boundaries mm -hmm. more than once. You know, my clients are like, Oh my God, phew, I had that conversation. I can't <laughs> wait to never have it again. I'm like, Oh wait, you're definitely going to have to have it again <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because we have short memories. Mm -hmm. And because when we change in our relationships, it can be very threatening. Right to the people who love us. Sure. What happens if we change so much that we don't, we don't love them anymore? Them, right, sure, of course. Unconsciously, you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to hit those two things. Excellent. Well, in, but the beautiful part of it is, I mean, that's that's where the freedom and the empowerment lies, right? That's that's kind of the, the gift of being able to do that. And when we've all witnessed it in our own lives and in other people, when they actually did mm -hmm. make that change, no more dropping the laundry off, you know, mm -hmm. Maybe it felt like peeling a bandit off, but more than likely it felt liberating and empowering. And that's kind of the gift that everybody needs to remember, that doing this work of kind of forcing yourself to be comfortable with that uncomfortableness, comfortableness, something significant is going to happen on the other side. That's what, that's how I get through the uncomfortable conversations. And that's what I'm hearing I'm, when I'm reading your book and listening to what you're saying. It's like, that's why I'm doing this. And it's like the self-awareness part. It's so critical, like you said. I mean, when we talk about limiting beliefs and self-doubt, we've talked about that yeah, on the show a lot. Of course. And certainly in my coaching, I've, I'm always dealing with that. And even in my own life, is like I never realized, to your point, Terry, how much I wanted to avoid conflict or all the negative or the limiting belief things until I became aware. And it seemed almost deafening And when I first turned up that volume, right? And that's probably what happens here when, when, the, when we start to listen to our body and that's how you start mm -hmm. to define what your boundaries are is like something's happening here, just listening and being in tune to your body. And it probably can be jarring because mm -hmm. you've been, you've been tuned out, right? It's, we haven't been t listening to it. Without a doubt. I think that a really good place though, for people to start because taking the overwhelm mm -hmm. out of it is really important yeah. right? that you don't have to do anything different right, right now. And the, 
we, we want to jump to action a lot of times. Like when we start learning this stuff, we're like, I can't wait to take the bullhorn and tell everyone there's <laughs> right. a boundary sheriff in town. Right. And, you know, I put a list on the fridge. Do. I put a list on the refrigerator. Here's all the things I will no longer tolerate. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> if you'll just read that in the initial at the bottom, we'll be all good. Uh-huh. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. But that's part of the process, which is that we really want to um, discharge the anxiety mm-hmm. Mm. that this process is provoking for us. And what I say is give yourself a soothing reality check, which is that you don't need to change anything now or ever, right? Mm. This you're learning something. So be in the learning learning mode. Don't think you got to jump to action because you don't. And you can start by doing a list of what's okay and what's not okay with you right now in all areas of your life. We do a really comprehensive list in the book because your preferences matter. Right. Your limits matter. Your desires matter. And when you start writing down, like, you know, I really hate the lighting in my office. Oh, well, that's something you can change. Mm -hmm. That's a preference. Change the light bulb. You can. Like, get really granular. And we do macro as well. But there's something about making these changes for ourselves so that we're more comfortable, so that we're prioritizing our own preferences and we're not burdening other people so much with like looking for all this satisfaction somewhere else. There are many things that we can do for ourselves that we're not. And that is having good internal boundaries because internal boundaries are really about how you relate to yourself. Mm. Yeah. And and I think you talk a lot about choice, right? I mean, we always have, I mean, that is our, I mean, I think just in life in general, broad brush, that's about the only thing that we can control, right? Is our choices, right? Because we can't control what's coming in. We can't control what's happening in a second from now, right? But I can choose how I'm interacting in this situation. And that is, I think the more we lean into choosing, the more we reinforce uh, that positive self-worth or that, or that strength, or that I can have those conversations because because it is, it is a choice. And I think as you talked earlier, even choosing is empowering. Just, just making the choice, yeah. even if you're not, as you're saying, Terry, even if you're not choosing, make, to, do anything cho- choosing to, to do anything in the moment or take action, just choosing a different thought pattern is empowering, yeah. right? It's like, I was, I was yes. doing that earlier today. I was driving, or actually last night, I was having a conversation and it was kind of heated by text, which I hate to do. <laughs> and which is always bad, right? There's nothing good in a heated text exchange. And finally, I just went, I, I just had to stop myself. And I said, what am I actually doing here? I am, I'm getting upset about little digits that are coming across this electronic device. I said, this is ridiculous. I'm getting upset because these little things are appearing on, on the screen. I said, that has nothing to do with me. I mean, I had to kind of, I had to, in essence, talk myself through it, but I I decided to make a different choice. I said, I'm just not going to, I'm choosing not to get upset because this is not, this is just somebody's opinion in the moment. This isn't, the reality of what my, what I feel, I guess, if that makes sense. Right. It does. And, and being clear, like I'm not responsible yeah. for what this other person is thinking or feeling. But I think that, you know, there's a big um, block to people being able to get exactly what Richard just kind of said at the top about mm-hmm. um, I'm only responsible sort of for myself, basically. Right. I think that's And tough. that's codependency. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really tough. I, I struggle with that. I struggle with you know, if somebody's mad at me, what, what, what is, you know, what did I do? What is my part in that? Do I, should mm-hmm. I have done this? Should I have done that? And, and, and probably 90% of that is not my stuff to carry, I would think. Right. Because they, it's their history, their pre-frame, their, all the stuff that all the bags that they came in the door with are what triggering that anger. I just happen to be the one that, you know, pushed that last little button. If that makes. Yeah. I mean, there's so much projection as you right. were saying before, but also with, interacting codependently with others, meaning we're overly invested in the feeling states, the Mm -hmm. outcomes, the decisions of other people feeling like actually responsible. Yeah. Yeah. So if your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your wife, whoever has Mm -hmm. a problem, if that problem, like how you can tell if you're responding codependently is if you got to check your urgency, Mm -hmm. if you have an urgent need to fix quote unquote, Mm -hmm. their problem, that is a codependent response because here's the thing, their problem, even if you love them to death, their problem is not yours to fix. Mm-hmm. 
and it's different with kids, so we don't have to go there, but I'm just right. talking yeah, about adult, adult relationships. relationships. Right. And what is codependency? At its very base, it is, well, it's disordered boundaries, <laughs> but it's also a covert or overt bid for control. Right. Like we don't want our friend to marry that jerk. Right. We don't want our that other person who's telling us over text that we're bad to mm -hmm. think that we're bad. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so this is a really important aspect of mental wellness and being clear about what is your side of the street and what is someone else's side of the street. Yeah. And that's all wrapped up in the in the boundaries with the emotional side, right? The the right? Emotional or mental or, yep. yeah, right? It fits into those categories. So if you have those strong boundaries, then you're, or I wouldn't even say strong. I think defined. For me, it's, it all comes it, back to defined, defined, right? I mean, because I didn't even think back. I know when me and my wife went to marriage counseling, and I think a big part of the problem in the relationship or when it, when it wasn't early on, it was like I was trying, I would take on those problems. I was always trying to fix her problem. Like, you know, or this situation, I was always trying to fix it, right? And like, I felt like, to be quite honest, it was like I felt like that was my identity as as a husband, almost. That right. I'm like, oh, I'm the savior, you know, I'm the <laughs> rescuer here, right? And that is total codependency, right? I mean, it's like, like I was looking for her. Like it's like the more problems she had, the more valid, well, valid, validated, validated I become, felt right? as as a husband, yeah. and that's not that's not normal. Well, it's normal. I no, don't think it it's healthy. Is. Yeah, I think it's extremely it, it, normal. It's exactly, Matt. It, it's <laughs> so normal that I cannot tell you how many couples I've seen over the past 25 years where this is the main crux of their problem. And I would always say to, and usually, you know, my experience has been in with mostly heterosexual couples where the male is wanting to fix and the woman is wanting to be understood and be supported and yeah. to be seen. And I think that there's lots of language that can be really helpful. I used to always just say to the husbands, um, hey, before making any suggestions, I would just like you to ask her, how can I best support you right now? Yep. Mm. Just ask the question because she may say, I really just want to vent. Yep. Right. Can I just vent? Can you can you just hold that space? Um, or I'm upset and just knowing that you care makes a difference to me. And I would always say to the husbands, I want you to you to consider this, like, because the husbands, and this sounds stereotypical and terrible, but I'm telling you, it's my my honest experience. <laughs> it's normal, right? That the husband's biggest complaint would be they wanted more sex, mm -hmm. honestly, mm -hmm. more more physical affection, and the wife wanted more help and to be seen more. And so I would say to the husbands, hey, think of you seeing her more and helping her without her asking you as foreplay. Because nothing will make her feel more open in that way towards you than her knowing you're thinking about her and her not having to like be tortured to ask you to do the things you said you'd already do. You know? <laughs> right. And I do believe that that shifted a lot of relationships. Yeah, I know it, sh it shifted ours when I stopped trying to solve and just started asking, hey, what, how can I best support? What, what do you need? You know, and just letting just listening to it, you know. And even doing that with our kids, I know kids is kind of different, but it's the same thing. We see it. I see it in my, my wife more as the kids are older, as they're young adults, and she's trying to solve their problems. And I'm like, and I can see the kid going, I just want you to hear what I'm, I'm just venting, you know, right. she's trying to solve. And But I, I do agree with you. And I would say, too, that, man, at least for me, I think a lot of it was just knowing that. And when I say king, not king like sitting on a throne and get me my dinner and all that stuff, but that that <laughs> you were, that you were valid, or you know what I mean? I was like, well, I really appreciate all everything that you do. Just appreciation type. I think that's what yep. men look for a lot. Yeah, I know I did. Just if I just knew that you were proud of me, that yep. was that was huge. If I right. knew that you were Absolutely. proud of me, I, I would agree. bend over. I would go to the ends of the earth. You know, that's, yep. and I think that that was huge for me. Anyway, yeah. not that you all know about my problems. I was going to say, life. so basically we just have guests come on so that <laughs> yeah, Richard we and I can therapy. get free therapy. That's, that's right. That's, that's, <laughs> we're like, we'll promote your book, but here we need our lives fixed right now. So if we'll just spend the next hour. Yeah. In fact, sometimes we don't even air the show. It just gets too personal. <laughs> hey, Terry, one, one thing that Matt and I are really big on is this, you know, the thing about the hero's journey. We talk about the yeah. hero's journey a lot where people, and I'm sure you're probably familiar with that whole yeah. mode. You kind of have a hero's journey, and and I'm 
Matt kind of alluded to it at the beginning is like, how did you get to this space? I was very intrigued because you had to come to a crossroads because you didn't start out as a psychotherapist. You started out as a talent, uh, what is agency or talent a ta- agent? Yeah. Talent yeah. Agent. And you, you worked with supermodels and celebrities and in your thirties, you decided to become a psycho. So that to me is a definition of a hero's journey. There had right. to be some dark nights of the souls for you to, to be at that crossroads and, and make a choice. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I think it's it's perfect, aptly named the hero's journey because basically part of that is having to go into that dark night on your own and carve your own way, mm-hmm. right? It's not going a path that's already there. And so leaving entertainment where I'd been incredibly ambitious because that was part of, I thought I was running towards something and then it was revealed in therapy that I was actually running away from something mm-hmm. with all of my ambition. But you know, I was in my early 30s, I was running a talent agency. And, you know, I, I had a life that a lot of people in a job that people were like, that is so cool, you know, Naomi mm-hmm. Campbell and this person and that person. And yet I wasn't satisfied in that life. And I I was on my own therapeutic journey since I was 19. I stopped drinking when I was 21. It's like I was so into the self-help world and I just couldn't believe that I could change the hand that I was dealt in life just by knowing myself and making decisions and being present and changing, deciding I would stop drinking because that was going to derail this amazing life that I could build if I wanted to. I wanted everyone to know about therapy. So in my my life negotiating contracts for supermodels and celebrities, I got to a point where I could no longer deny that the thing that I cared about the very most was the mental health of my clients. I was getting people into drug treatment clinics and eating disorder clinics and everyone going to therapy and recommending a thousand books. And I really didn't care much about the Pantene endorsement or the movie contract that I was negotiating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wasn't that interested. And I was like, you better leave before you start really being bad at your job. Mm -hmm. And so I left at a time and I remember my father saying to me, because you know, according to my father, I I left at the height of my career. And I remember telling him, oh, hey, um, I applied to NYU to go to grad school to become a psychotherapist. And he was like, why? Why would you do that? And I was like, because I'm not fulfilled with what I'm doing. And he literally said, sounds weird. (laughs) I was like, thanks for your endorsement. Good thing I don't need your money. Anyway. And a lot of people were like, why would you leave this amazing world? Because there's such a, you know, there's such a wrong view or an incorrect view of what it really is. And that was what, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew exactly that I wanted to, the second I graduated, I took the test in New York and I opened my practice literally the next day. Mm -hmm. I was like, and I'm, here's my shingle. I'm open for business. And did that for many, many years. And really I focused on, because I had been a talent agent, I had many clients who were Broadway performers, pop stars, singers, lighting people, directors. So I was really still in Mm. entertainment because it's a specific niche, that world and knowing it from the inside out made me probably a better better therapist Mm -hmm. for, for those people who had those experiences. And then I got to a point where I really wanted to have a bigger impact. And so that meant then creating a public platform. And that was, I really didn't start a public platform until 2011, I think. Mm. And, you know, this is uh, something that we've been really honing in on uh, over the last several podcasts is really this. uh, We don't always mention the hero's journey. I'm glad you did today, Richard. Um, But it's really that um, I think for a lot of us, we get stuck in the rut of um, being normal or not even being normal, just the rut of this is what I do because this is who I am because this is where oh, I, I expect it, to do. And, it, and it's just, it, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, but comfortable, right? It's uncomfortable because I don't feel good in my own skin, but it's comfortable because it's what I've always done. So I'm just going to continue to go down this rut that's in the road. Right. And yeah. we love, I love having guests on that are like yourself that kind of came to that crossroads that came to that choice point and, and chose the different path actively, knowingly, consciously chose it. It wasn't forced upon you. Um, no. you know, it, it was something you chose. And, and in some cases it is forced upon people, they, but they still actively take that mm-hmm. path. And then it ends up, uh, you know, fulfillment, right? I mean, ultimately, you know, if we die and we, we made all the widgets and we, 
you know, checked all the boxes, who, who, who gives a shit? Right. I mean, I, I mean, it's ultimately it's, did we, you know, did we serve others? Did we contribute to the greater good? Did we, did we live a life full of love and compassion? I mean, I, so I just love that, you know, that it's able for you to define, I guess, so specifically, this is something you did. And, and I'd love to bring people on that are examples of that so that it allows the rest of us to know, Hey, this is, this is okay. This is better than okay. It sucks. Probably it probably maybe it didn't did or didn't. I'm sure there was probably some struggles before you made that final decision of and there had to be a lot of am doubt. I crazy? Right? Yeah. Am I crazy? I'm giving up the money. I'm giving up the you know the yeah. notoriety. I'm giving up the you know. well. There was fear. Yeah, there was fear. Definitely yeah. fear. I, I would say I knew for about three years. Yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. Yep. That I needed to get the heck out. Yeah. Before I did, and then when I finally got down to what are you afraid of? Like what are you afraid of? You know that no matter what you do, you will do it to the best of your ability and you will, you will succeed like that. I had enough evidence to know that I was willing to do whatever the work was, but it was the money because I hadn't been that great with my money up until Mm -hmm. that point. Like I had traveled around the world. Mm -hmm. I just did really whatever I wanted and did not save very much money. And then I said to myself, can you be happy and be poor? Mm. And the answer was yes. Yeah. And I was like, is money the thing, of course, I want eventually, I want to be abundant again, and I'm sure I will be. But for me, quality of life internally, do I need money to be happy? And the answer was no. And I had never like made my life so big, that I would be forced into those sort of golden handcuffs, like I was in a rent stabilized apartment. And I started teaching at NYU acting. And I was like, okay, I'm making enough money to pay my rent, my therapy and my gym, the (laughs) rest of it will come. And, And it did. Yeah, you know, Right. You just got to leap and just have faith that a better net will appear because your future liberation and happiness is really dependent on being courageous in that moment. And if I can do it, anyone can do it. And, right. And, and I so love that. And that seems, you know, as we've, as we start having more and more of these conversations, there seems to be like that two year, three year kind of even after some people have made the marination of yeah, what, yeah. what am I doing? Yeah, we, we talked to a, a pastor that we had on the show the other day that, that chose not to necessarily be a traditional pastor anymore and kind of went against what he was preaching to do, to do what he knew was what right he was in his heart, to, what, what he was yeah. drawn to. But he said it was like, right. after he made this decision, there was two years of like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, did I, was this really the right decision? Was it not the right? And finally, after about two years, it's something, you know, an event happened. He's like, Nope. Then he could definitely see that that was the right path he was supposed to be on. So it's, I, I guess for, for all of us and the people listening and watching, watching the show. Yeah. It isn't a, there, it's a process. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm trying, I'm, I'm saying it's a process and it, it yeah, does. When, when the decision is made, it's not like we said, it's not, it, it's not necessarily white the, picket the, fences. Unicorns the, the fear doesn't magically just all, all of the fear doesn't magically evaporate. It just maybe starts to quiet down because you get more and more, I guess, certainty on the other side that you are, uh, you know, you feel less stress or you feel more, dr- more pulled versus pushed or, or to your point, you're running towards something versus running away from something. I love the way you said that. Cause I think a lot of us in life are, making our choices, running away from that pain that we've experienced or pain that we mm-hmm. experienced. So we're running away thinking that we're accomplishing. I know when I started out in business, it was all about getting my name in the paper and significance mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And, and I thought I was running towards people liking me. And I, no, I was running away from being alone, right? I just wanted people to know me so I wouldn't feel alone or I wouldn't feel yeah. unloved, right? So I was, and, and when I realized that it wasn't very pleasant, you know, there was yeah. a long period of time where it was just like, this sucks. <laughs> I think there's got to be a willingness though. You know, mm-hmm. Deepak Chopra, I studied with him for uh-huh. years and years yeah. ago, but he, you know, the, the known and the unknown. Yes. And it was like, we always want everything to be known. Yes. Like I'm going to know the outcome. I'm going to know it's going to be successful. And Deepak said, you know, it it is in the unknown that the infinite possibilities, Mm -hmm. the pure potential of your life exists. And I think that having a dedicated meditation practice for the past 20 years has a lot to do with my life, my internal experience Mm -hmm. being what it is, which then is reflected in my external experience. I agree with that. And I would say that, Mm -hmm. I know even for me, like when when I think about those choice points or those forks in the road and I, the times I didn't take them. And at some point it, it, when I started becoming more Mm self-aware and having mindfulness and then realizing that the, really the only fear that I have was the fear of regret of not trying. In other words, and so that really is my only fear at this point. Interesting. You know, where I'm like, if I'll try anything. I'm not afraid of trying or doing, going with or without. Mm-hmm. 
but it's the fear of like, wow, I'm feeling drawn towards something and I'm talking myself out of it. That's my fear. I don't want to be sitting in the in my deathbed and yep. all those ideas walking around, shaking their head. Like if you only, you <laughs> know. If you only would have engaged with <laughs> yeah. that. That's my fear. And, and so when you talk about uh, specifically uh, – because yeah, and I think I read that in your bio that you you have a meditation practice. What does that look like for you specifically? Because a lot of people think meditation, I think, is more complex sometimes than it really is. Um, and it's like, how do I start meditating that? So for you, what does that meditation practice look like? Um, I get up every day. I do primordial sound meditation. So I have my own mantra that I've never told anyone in 20 years. And we're revealing um, it today on the show. <laughs> today with so her. today with Terry, the mantra that she's used, the secret mantra to make a happier life, right? Is there a drum roll sound effect? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is going to be a huge, can you, big press release here. So, so anyway, so you have a mantra. So, yes, I have a, what I call a Zenden. Okay which is an area in my home that uh -huh. I, it's very cozy. I've got little twinkly lights and uh -huh. uh, a candle and uh -huh. I like things that smell good. And uh -huh. if, whatever time of year it is, if they're, I like moss, I like leaves, you know, oh, I have some nice. nature element in there as yeah. well. Picture of my dad, uh -huh. deities that I, that I, uh -huh. you know, feel empowered by. And then I just put a timer on my phone. That's very gentle. Uh -huh. And I meditate for 20 minutes. Yep. In the first few minutes, I'm asking these questions of the universe. You know, who am I? Mm -hmm. um, what am I really grateful for? Mm -hmm. What do I really want? Mm -hmm. And really, what is my dharma? How can I right, be of service to myself right. and others in the world with my unique and special gifts and talents? So I repeat those, and then it's like I exhale them out to the universe, having faith that those answers will come back to me throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Now, some days I meditate twice, but not all the time. But mm -hmm. I definitely always do the morning meditation because it's a way to calibrate mm -hmm. my day. Right. I love it. And I think a lot of the the uh, you know the guests we do talk to that are successful like yourself, they do have a morning practice, and almost all of them have talked about meditation, mindfulness, prayer, taking care quiet of yourself. time. You know, mm -hmm. what all about however you. you you know however they define it for themselves. But there is this kind of. Uh, choosing what you're going to experience in the day versus just reacting to what the day brings. Right. So if you're focused on these things, I would guarantee, I would, I would guess that more often than not, you're given answers to all these questions throughout the day. And, and it's probably mm -hmm. a practice now where it's like almost autumn. You're like, Oh, there's gratitude or there. I mean, is that kind of how that. Oh yeah. And I also have gratitude practice at night with my husband where mm -hmm. we share three gratitudes in our favorite oh, frame nice. of the day. Oh, I love that. Again, because these are muscles that with our negativity bias as humans, mm -hmm. if we're not flexing our gratitude muscle, trust me, there's so many things to complain about right. and so many small petty things to be focused on where it, it is um, a muscle and we do it together. We also meditate together. I mean, you know, unless one of us gets up earlier, but generally speaking, I love sharing that right. with oh, that's him. Nice. And, and you said three things that you're grateful for. And did you say something else? Three things you're grateful for? Yes. And and our favorite frame of the day, like our favorite moment. Oh, gotcha. Favorite of the day. Moment. Okay. Oh, I love that. Well, I tell you that that one thing about just thinking about what you're grateful for that can that can make or break a day for me. If I start a day and end a day with that, that can be everything. If I don't do anything else, if I do that, that can that can make. If I don't do it, I mean, it's a huge difference. I think that is one yeah. of the my, one of my go tos when I find myself getting overcome with whatever. I go Same. to the gratitude piece and it really centers me. Yeah, I, I agree 110%. And it's simple, right? You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to get it's a degree. Free. It's free. And right? it, if, you, if, if, you know, if you're grateful, you can't be angry. Really, yeah. there's no, I mean, you can't be sad. If you're grateful, there's just that, it's just a space of grace, right? I mean, it's a grateful space. Yes. Did, did you consider yourself a boundary boss when you made this fork in the road? Or, or did the boundary kind of knowledge come as you became a psychotherapist? Or did, yes. Yeah. That, the latter. <laughs> no, I, I was very aware that, you know, entertainment is not a hotbed of mental health or healthy boundaries, obviously, mm -hmm. because there is so much melding over because I was also young and had young clients. And, you know, there, there's this headiness that, you know, I was I was representing supermodels in the heyday mm -hmm. of supermodels. Mm -hmm. right, Remember right. George Michael mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> with all, all of them yeah, and yeah. his video? Like I was representing a lot of those women 
And I was, thank God I was already sober by then because <laughs> right. I don't even know what the nineties would have looked right. like for me had I not been. The, the train wreck that that could have been, huh? Oh my <laughs> Lord, please. <laughs> but I did know that I was too available, that I was working too much, right. that I was too codependent with other people, that mm. my boundaries were too malleable. And I'd been, you know, at that point I'd had therapy for X number of years where I started really being able to identify what was causing the pain and frustration in my life and being in the, a business that was really against my integrity, my own integrity, right. personal integrity, mm -hmm. that was really took its toll on me. And I really knew I really did have to get out. I was trying to change a business but it was starting to change me. Yeah. And I was like, I need to get out before I get completely changed by this experience. But really once I became a therapist, so I'd say between my late twenties to my early thirties is when I really started dialing into the power of boundaries. Because once I had a private practice, I was like, oh my God, disordered boundaries. This is an epidemic. Mm. Every person who walks in I could follow the dots back to the origin of their pain. Is their inability to talk true, mm. to tell the truth about how they feel? Is their inability, they're saying yes when they want to say no all the time. They're exhausted from overgiving and overfeeling mm -hmm. and overfunctioning. And those are all boundary issues. And so I started taking copious notes and really I created a course about five years ago called Boundary Bootcamp because I wanted to test out like what works Will what worked in my office one-on-one -on -one work virtually with a group? The answer was yes. But then I was I did a huge survey of the people who were in that course, and I really got it to the creme de la creme of what is most effective, most impactful, what resonated most with most people, and that's what ended up in the book. That's great. Mm. You talk Amazing. about it. As we wrap up here, I wish we had another two hours with you, but I think that <laughs> You talk about a boundary revolution. What do you hope happens? I mean, obviously you wrote this book, but you talk about a boundary revolution in the book. What's the ripple effect? What do you hope happens with, with all of this work? I mean, my, my dharma, my purpose is to help people elevate their joy in life, their satisfaction in life, so that they can contribute what it is they're meant to contribute to the world because we so need everyone's individual contributions and teaching them how to lessen their own suffering. Yeah. Because so much of this is just unconscious stuff that they just need someone like I'm not, I'm nobody's guru. I'm just a damn good GPS to show you where the crap is that you need to deal right. with mm -hmm. that will help liberate you from thinking small or living small or feeling bad about yourself. So that, to me, a boundary revolution is that every person in every country, whether you have zero dollars or many dollars, that you can have access to this life changing, these strategies, this methodology mm -hmm. that absolutely works and is tried and true and is thousands of times over, that it's not just people who have money. And that's part of why I don't have, you know, I have a couple of high profile clients and that's it at this point in my, my therapy practice, because I didn't want to just become so exclusive that only people who are loaded could work with me. I knew that if I wrote a book, the, the waitress in Omaha who has three kids and feels like she's just screwed forever, mm -hmm can realize she's not, this is a book that's 20 bucks mm -hmm. and you're not screwed. Like you, you, there literally is a way out of this. You can find your way to a happier life and more abundance and then contribute what you're meant to contribute to the world. I love it. The book is too. great. You did a really, really good job. It's very pragmatic and, and practical in the sense that you can follow the steps. A lot of, you know, a lot of self-awareness. You're going to find out a lot of answers by going through and reading it. And even though I'm, I know you, you target this towards women, but if you're a man and doing this, I mean, I got a lot out of this myself. So I, I know that you, what you're trying to do with it. But I, if you're a man, I wouldn't be afraid of, of getting this book. Not at all. I think you did a really and, good and, job. And really any, any gender identity, honestly, right. we all have to deal with boundaries. Right. So if the language in the book hopefully will not be offensive to you, because I do no. reference women a lot. The strategies are absolutely for you, no matter who you are. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing offensive in this book. <laughs> Not at all. Right, right. <laughs> Fantastic stuff, Terry. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I learned yes. a ton. Like yes. I said, I hope we can stay in touch. Hopefully, maybe you can come back on the show. There's so many other things we can explore. How can people learn more about you, connect with you? You got a great podcast, all that stuff. How can, how can people connect with you? Well, first, I want to say thank you, Richard. Thank you, Matt. I 
So appreciate your time, your interest, taking the time to actually read the book. Mm -hmm. You're like one of four podcast people who interviewed me who I think actually <laughs> read the book. So thank you. Um, people can find me at terrycole.com. And if they're interested in getting the book, I have a lot of really juicy bonuses that I'm still just giving to people because I want to at boundarybossbook.com. You can find me on Instagram at Terry Cole. That's where I probably hang out the most. And I do have a podcast that I just surpassed 2 million downloads. It's called The Terry Cole Show. Thank you. And you can find it anywhere anywhere you consume your podcast. You can find The Terry Cole Show. But thank you guys for what you're doing. I really appreciate it. Yes, definitely. And thank you. Yeah, again, thank you just for, I mean, I'd love to figure out how we could have you be a, a bigger part of our community at Next Level Method. I mean, I just love your message. I love the, again, the, pra the pragmatic side of, this is something you can do. I love the fact that you, you know, you did it through the example in your own life. So I certainly, if we can help you expand your uh, reach and your frequency and get, get your message out, we'd love to help you do that. So thank you for. Thank yes, you. yes, yes. Thank you for being, thank you. <laughs> thank you for being that light, shining your light and, yeah. and illuminating others because that's, that's how we make a better world. So thank you for that. Thank you, Terry. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me.